Good morning again, everyone. Welcome to Anchor Church. Again, if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for um, worshiping with us this morning. Uh, We're praying for you, and I pray for all of you. I pray that the Lord continues to draw you nearer to him. So we uh, began a new series last week, uh, just walking verse by verse through the gospel of John. Um, I talked about earlier in the year, or like at the beginning of the year, in our Heart for the House series, that the, the emphasis, the focus for us this year is discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus. And um, part of that, part of discipleship, part of becoming more like Jesus is knowing the word way better, way better. Um, I have been following Christ for over 20 years, and um, I've been I've been trying my best to be a student of the word pretty much the whole time, and I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I want to know it even better than I do right now. It's a part of the discipleship process uh, is to know the word better, and that's why we're walking verse by verse through the gospel of John, and today we're looking at John chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 19 through 28, but um, before we dive into the, the scriptures, I wanted to share with you something I read this week that um, it, it really fascinated me. I don't know why it was really fascinating to me, but um, I wanted to share it with you. It's a little um, blurb from an article I read. It's a theorist, Eric er- Erickson, coined the term identity crisis and believed that it was one of the most important conflicts a person will face in their life. According to Erickson, an identity crisis is a time of intensive analysis and exploration of different ways of looking at oneself. Those with the status of having scattered identity tend to feel out, uh, feel, feel out of place in the world and don't pursue a sense of true identity. I think we all go through times of identity crisis in our lives. Every single one of us, I think, does. I know I did, right? Mine just happened to be around the middle school years, you know, like, who am I going to be? Like, I think back at my time in middle school, and I look at the things that I did, and I look at the things that I said, and I can't believe it's actually real life. Like, who was that person? Because I have no idea. Um, And I can remember at that time in my life, like, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was ever going to know who I was because I was just searching so, so much to try to figure it out. And I just like felt, man, I'm never going to know who I am. What about you? When was your identity crisis moment? Because it happens to everybody. If it hasn't happened yet, it's coming. So prepare. When was your identity crisis moment? How did you deal with it? How did you cope? Um, when did you come out of that? Did you ever find what you were looking for? Um, I think like some people, some people find their identity in relationships, right? There's this, there's this thought that to be somebody, I've got to be with somebody. So you're always on the lookout for that, that one, right? That perfect person. And, and until I get that person, I'm going to be incomplete. And, and your identity is wrapped up in this idea of a romantic relationship. But here's the thing. If that relationship never comes, or maybe you do get that relationship and it kind of falls apart, your identity has gone. If your identity is in a relationship, when that relationship's gone, your identity is gone. That's a problem. And then you're, lo- you're left lost and confused. Some people find their identity in their occupation, in, in what they do, think about it. Whenever you meet someone new, how, do you, how, how does the conversation begin? What do you do? 
what do you do for a living, right? Like, like, and, and we, we take pride in like what we do and how long we've been doing it and, and how good we are at what we do, right? We find our identity in our occupation. Now there's nothing wrong with being, with, with liking what you do and that kind of thing, but like when it becomes your identity, that's a problem, right? And much like the relationships thing, when, when that occupation is gone, what do you do? Who are you? Like what's left for you? Have you ever figured out who you are outside of a romantic relationship? Have you ever figured out who you are outside of your family? Because some people find their identity in their kids. I don't know who I am if I'm not a mom. I don't know who I am if I'm not a dad. Have you ever figured that out? Have you ever figured out who you are outside of your career, outside of your interests, outside of your politics? We can... We can fall into the trap of putting our identity in so many different things. But today, I want to look at what we can learn from Scripture about this topic of, of our identity and, and where it comes from. Um, but before, before I dive into the Scriptures, pray with me this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you. Um, we are here for you. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive your truth today. Receive the truth of your word that we might be different than the way we came in today. We love you, God. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open it up or turn it on if you have a digital Bible to John chapter 1. We're starting in verse 19. John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Now, whenever I preach, I say this almost every week, whenever I preach, I try to preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean? If we're going to understand how the Bible applies to our lives here and now, we have to understand what was going on in the world of the Bible, what was going on there and then. If we're going to understand the meaning, we have to understand the context. And just a, a really brief uh, recap, um, the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John. So he, this guy, he lived life with Jesus for three years. He followed Jesus, and, and this is his account of Jesus' life and ministry. And John's uh, audience that he's writing to is largely non-Jewish. So it's, it's largely people who, who don't see the world the same way John does. And so he's trying to lay out some basic things for these people to understand about who they are and who God is and, and how it all relates and all that. So uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 19, it says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Now, really quickly, I feel um, compelled to talk about this a little bit. Um, just based on the, the nature of, of things in our world right now, and I promise what I'm about to say is, I mean no, nothing political by it at all. There's a lot of anti-Semitism in our world. Now, anti-Semitism, if you don't know, is extreme hate and prejudice of Jewish people. Now, with the conflict that's going on over in Gaza and Israel and all that, there's a lot of anti-Semitism, that kind of thing happening right now. Uh, there's a lot of people who believe the New Testament is anti-Semitic. There, there's a, a belief out there that, and it's actually taught, that the New Testament hates Jews, teaches hate for the Jews. Um, 
And um, most English versions talk about how the Jews as a whole hated Jesus. The Jews betrayed Jesus. The, the Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews killed Jesus. And we, we're going to see this throughout the Gospel of John as well. Um, but again, I feel compelled to, to talk about this because if that's the case, then the New Testament is 100% uncredible. If that's the case, we can't take it seriously because Jesus was Jewish. His 12 disciples were Jewish. All of Jesus' followers were Jewish. So how can the New Testament be anti-Semitic? So if you've ever heard that, if you've ever heard that Scripture is anti-Semitic, that Scripture is anti-Jew, it's not, it's not true. It's, it's, it's false. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there really quickly. Um, in the original language, when the Apostle John uses the word Jews, he's not using the all-encompassing people. The word he's using is a Greek word that means Jews from Judea, okay? Um, and Judea is a region of land in Israel designated for the tribe of Judah. So when he uses the word like we see the word Jews, he's using a word that means Jews from Judea. And this is important because um, there's Old Testament prophecies that say the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. So Jews, Judean Jews are searching for the Messiah who's coming from the tribe of Judah. So this makes sense for him to talk about it this way. So anyways, that was an aside. I just felt I needed to uh, address it really quickly. Let's move on. Verse 23. John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. So there were three people that the Pharisees were suspicious that John the Baptist could be. Either the Messiah, Elijah, um, the, the second coming of the prophet Elijah, or the prophet that was talked about um, in Deuteronomy. Um, and and uh, John the Baptist is like, nope, that's not me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not, the, I'm not the, the chosen one come to free Israel. That's not me. I'm not Elijah. I, I'm not him. Yeah. I'm not uh, the prophet that, that Abraham talked about in, in Deuteronomy. That's not me. Um, I also think it's important to bring attention to the fact that the Apostle John identifies, in the last verse, he identifies an area east of the Jordan River. Uh, why is that important, Pastor Ryan? Nothing is in Scripture by accident. Nothing's put there flippantly. It all has a purpose. Jews were baptized commonly, almost exclusively, west of the Jordan River. Because west of the Jordan River was Israel. East of the Jordan River was non-Jewish territory. So why would any Jew be baptized east of the Jordan River? John the Baptist performing baptisms in this area, east of the Jordan River, is simple. It's symbolic. Um, it foreshadows the future ministry to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. It's, it's kind of a, a little hint saying, this isn't just for the Jews. This is for 
everybody. This is what's coming. It's for everybody. God wants to reach everybody. So this portion of scripture is referred to as the testimony of John, the testimony of John the Baptist. And um, the apostle John introduced us to John the Baptist. And, And John the Baptist is also called the forerunner. The forerunner. If you don't know what a forerunner is, a forerunner is a person or thing that precedes the coming or development of someone or something else, a sign or warning of something to come. John is the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of the Messiah. He was, he was saying, hey, things are about to change. Listen to me because this is happening. Things are changing. You need to be prepared. Uh, last week, I talked about knowing the truth and being aware of the truth and the true nature of things. And, and looking at our scriptures today through that lens, it's clear to me that John the Baptist was fully aware of the truth. He was fully aware of the true nature of things. And today, I want to look at two specific things that John the Baptist knew, that he was confident in, that, that he was fully aware of, that I think we can look at and we can, we can take the principle and we can apply it to our lives today. The first thing I want to talk about that John the Baptist knew is this. He knew his position. John the Baptist knew his position. John chapter 1, verse 27. I just read it. I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. So John the Baptist and Jesus were related. They were second cousins. John's mom, her name is Elizabeth. Jesus' mom's name is Mary. Elizabeth is Mary's aunt, if that makes sense, okay? So they're second cousins. They're related. John the Baptist is older by six months. Um, He's older. He he started his ministry first. John the Baptist had a larger following than Jesus had. I think, if if I'm correct, I think he had a larger following than Jesus ever had, right? So he's older, started his ministry first, had a larger following, but John knew his position. He knew, I'm, I'm nothing compared to that guy. I'm nothing compared to, he's so much greater than me. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to touch his disgusting feet. He knew his position. He's, he knew he's God and I'm not. He's God and I'm not. And this is where spiritual life begins. The fundamental truth that God is God and we are not, we are not on his level. We are not the same. That is where spiritual life begins. If we skip this, or if we ignore it, or if we downplay it, then nothing I say up here is going to make any sense. Nothing we read in the Bible is really going to make any sense if we don't understand that we are not on the same level as God. He is God. We are not We have to understand he's above us. He's higher than us. We're, again, we're not on his level. And there are so many verses in scripture that remind us of this. Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine. says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We are not on his level. We are not the same. Job chapter 33, verse 12. But you are wrong, and I will show you why. For God is greater than any human being. We are not the same. Psalm 99, 2. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the people. His ways are higher. 
He's greater. We are not the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We now have this, this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not ourselves. We are not equals with God. And if we don't understand that, we are in trouble. John the John the Baptist knew his position in relation to Jesus. He knew, I'm nothing compared to this guy. That's where spiritual life begins. And I believe this is a, a, an issue about trust and control. It's an issue about trust and control. If we aren't God, if we're not on his level, right, then we're not in control. And if we're not in control, then we have to trust the one who is in control, right? Mm -hmm. When we can't trust, we tend to want to seize control. And seizing control gives us the illusion that we're better than we are, right? If we, if we have control of, you know, what we feel out of control, then we, we, in our minds, we trick ourselves like, okay, I'm okay, I'm good. I, I, I got this, right? Like when we, when we don't trust, we seize control. And when we seize control, we have a, a distorted view of ourselves. We have to know that we are not on God's level. And John the Baptist knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly who God was. He knew exactly that God was in control and he trusted it. His faith was in that. He trusted that God is who he says he is and that he will do everything he said he would do. So the, the first thing John the Baptist knew is he knew his position in relation to God. He knew he's God and I'm not. And that's where spiritual life begins. The next thing scripture tells us John knew, John knew his purpose. John knew his purpose. Chapter 1, verse 23 says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. There was no confusion in John the Baptist's mind of what he was put on this earth to do. There was no confusion what his purpose was. There was no confusion what God created him to do. He knew his purpose was to prepare the hearts of Israel for the coming Messiah. He knew it. And he died living that purpose. He died living that purpose. He was beheaded living that purpose. We'll, we'll read about it in, a little later in the Gospel of John. And that might sound counterintuitive, like he died. He was killed, he was murdered, living the purpose God created him for? 100%. 100%. He died living the purpose God created him for. Unfortunately, that's a really tough thing for us to wrap our heads around today. Um, it's a tough thing for us to grasp because we live in a society that has conditioned people to believe that your identity, your purpose, is wrapped up in race, gender, sexual orientation. That's what we are conditioned to believe, but that is not what the word says, right? We're conditioned to believe that I'm, I'm white, so I have to think and behave this way. I'm Hispanic, so I have to think and behave this way. I'm black, so I have to think and behave this way. Like, we're conditioned by society to believe that our purpose is wrapped up in those three things. But that's oversimplified. That's reductionist. That's incorrect. It, like, 
your race doesn't define you. Your, your gender doesn't define you. Your sexual orientation doesn't define Like those things don't define you, who you are. They don't decide your purpose. Your creator decides your purpose. The one who created you gets to decide why he created you. Those things don't in, encapsulate us. They don't sum us up. If those things become our purpose in life, then life will quickly become meaningless. If those things become our purpose, our cause in life, our life will quickly become meaningless. So what is my purpose? What is my purpose, Pastor Ryan? If you're asking yourself that question right now, it's good because that's the right question to ask. What is my purpose? I believe the answer is twofold. First, everyone has a unique spiritual gifting that God has given you to, to advance his kingdom and reveal his glory. Everyone has a unique spiritual gifting that God has given you to uh, advance his kingdom and, and reveal his glory. Example, I didn't tell her I was going to say this, but my wife, she, uh, Robin, she is incredibly gifted at administration incredibly gifted at administration. What's administration? It's defined this way. Administration is a gift that enables individuals to organize and direct the activities of others for the common good. My wife is incredible at creating systems. She is incredible at creating processes. She is incredible at organizing to help maximize effectiveness. And guess what? That's useful because I am none of those things. <laughs> I am none of those things. I need, I need her gifting. It, it helps me in my ministry. God has gifted her that way, and she, she uses it for the glory of God, and, and that is part of her purpose. Um, I've, I've um, pointed this out before, too, that Sue McThaney's spiritual gifting is hospitality. Whether you know it or not, Sue, you, I'm sure you do, whether you believe it or not, whether you embrace it or not, your, your gifting is hospitality. You have, uh, you just make people feel at home. Um, hospitality uh, as a spiritual gift is defined as this, where individuals warmly welcome others and foster a sense of belonging. Again, Sue, you're incredible at this. It starts with your smile and it ends with your food in our bellies. You are awesome at, at being hospitable, at, at making us feel like we belong. Um, we all have spiritual giftings. God has gifted each and every one of us in a, a very specific way, but it's up to you to discover that through the help of the Holy Spirit. I said, I said our purpose is twofold. The second part of our purpose is this, disciple-making. Disciple-making. It is our purpose as Christ followers to make, to be disciples that make more disciples. We are called to be disciples of Christ who teach other people the commands of Jesus and how to obey them. It is what we are all called to do. It is our purpose here is to be a disciple maker. Well, Pastor Ryan, I'm not a pastor. Good. You don't have to be a pastor to be a disciple maker. Are you breathing? Check. Do you follow Jesus? You have the criteria to be a disciple maker. 
God calls all of his children to be disciple makers. Matthew chapter 28, verse, verse 18 through 20 says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. He told his disciples, go make more disciples. He told his followers, go make more followers. Teach them what I taught you and teach them how to obey my commands. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. It means walking alongside somebody who's not as far along as you in your journey with the Lord and teaching them what it means to follow him. Teaching and modeling what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple maker. That is our purpose. Um, when I was a second year in master's commission, I talk about this, I talk about master's commission all the time, the discipleship program that I went through after high school. Uh, when I was a second year in the program, I was struggling. I was in a funk. I didn't know why, but like nothing just kind of seemed right. It wasn't, it was, like just wasn't clicking. Like things just weren't going well. And around Thanksgiving time, the director of my master's commission, he sat down with me and he started asking me about it because it was obvious, like, it, like there was an issue, right? what's going on, you know, and I just started lamenting, like, nothing's the same, like, last year was great, this year, you know, what? well, give you, give you kind of, like, some more context, as a first year, the program is, like, all about you, it's all about your development, it's all about your care, it's all about your growth, everything is geared towards the first year in the program, right, so I was a first year, well, second year, it's not about me. Second year, it's learning to serve, and it's taking care of the first years, right? It's, it's helping them grow, you know, that kind of thing. But I wasn't getting that. I didn't understand that. I still wanted it to be about me. And so I was kind of having, like, a little pity party. And, um, again, it was, like, Thanksgiving time. So, like, two months into the, the Master's Commission school year, and the director looked at me, and he told me, like, if things didn't change, then he was going to have to ask me not to come back, that I was going to have to find something else to do. And that like lit a fire under me and I like dove head first into the whole disciple making thing. I took about six guys, six first year guys, and I poured my life into them. Every minute I had that was, that was free, I was with them and I was teaching them what it meant to follow Jesus. I was showing them what it meant to follow Jesus. And you might hear this, you might be like, Pastor Ryan, what's the point? What's the point of this story? The point is, I've never felt more alive in my life than I was when, I was, when it was about making disciples. I've never felt more alive in my life than I, when I was helping somebody grow in their relationship with the Lord. I was living my purpose, and I knew it, and I never felt more alive. And once I experienced that, there was no going back. There was no going, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it anymore. I knew this is what God created us for. And, and, and I, I realized, like, it's what he created all of us for, right? To walk along uh, with someone who's not as far along as you and teach them what it means to follow Jesus, to model for them what it means to follow Jesus. Um, I hope I don't embarrass them, but I, this is what, like, Kim helped do for Vicky. If you didn't know, right? Kim is a disciple maker. She she walked alongside Vicky and taught her what it means to follow Jesus. She she walked alongside Vicky. She's still walking alongside Vicky and still modeling 
what it means to follow Jesus. You have a real-life example of disciple-making sitting right here. It is our purpose in life as Christ followers to make disciples, to be disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That is our purpose. Use the gift God gave us for his glory and be disciple makers. So John knew his position. He knew who he was in relation to God. He knew he's God and I'm not. I'm not even worthy to untie his nasty sandals, right? And he knew his purpose. He knew exactly what God created him to do and he lived in that purpose. Two principles from the life of John the Baptist that we can take and we, be, we can begin to apply those to our life today. Worship team, you can come to the platform. This is truly a conversation uh, about identity. It truly is. Who are you? That's the title of my message. I, I'm almost done. I'm just now giving you the title. Who are you? Who are you? Identity is defined as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is, the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. Who are you? If you call yourself a Christ follower, like John the Baptist, you have to know your position in relation to God. You are not in charge of your life. I am not in charge of my life. I yield to the Lord. I yield to his will. If you are the captain of your own soul, you and you alone are responsible for what happens to you. You and you alone are responsible for figure, figuring out who you are. But if your life is submitted to Jesus and he wants to tell you, he's itching to tell you who he created you to be. Imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that you understand your position in relation to the Lord. Imagine that you fully understand, like, like, he's God, he knows what he's doing, he knows where he's going, and all I've got to do is follow his instruction. He's in control, I trust that. All I gotta do is listen and obey. How much simpler would life be how much simpler would life be if you were following the lead of the ultimate leader? You weren't just randomly making decisions for yourself, hoping that everything turns out, but you know, like, God's got this. God's in control, and I'm going to follow him. What if you were able to live out your purpose? I mean, like, you knew exactly who God created you to be. You knew exactly what he, he called you to do. And you were able to live that every single day. What would your life look like? How would things be different? What if your life, or, or what would your life look, life look like if you didn't have to live up to what your parents thought? If you didn't have to live up to what your family thought, if you didn't have to live up to the expectations your boss puts on you, if you didn't have to live up to the expectations your friends put on you, your coworker, like what if you didn't have to live under the labels that people put on you because you know exactly who your God created you to be? Imagine that. 
imagine how much better things would be. Know your position and know your purpose. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we love you. We thank you for um, this word today. And we just ask, God, that you would take this word and root it deep inside of us, that it might become a way of life for us, that we would know our position in relation to you. We would know we are not in control. You are. We are not God. You are. God, I pray that we would begin to hunger and thirst to know our purpose here. Not just know it in our heads, but but know it and understand it in our hearts that we would know that we're created for your glory. We're created to advance your kingdom, to reveal your kingdom to those around us. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. Thank you for your patience, God. Thank you. What we're going to do right now is we're just going to take a, a moment to respond. We're not finished yet, so don't, don't, um, don't head out just yet. I want us to take a, a moment, uh, a few minutes, just to respond to what the Spirit of God is doing in this place. The worship team's going to lead us in a song, but I want you to feel free to respond however you're comfortable. If you need to pray, do that. If you want to sing with the worship team, you can do that. If you need to sit and kind of just meditate on what we just heard, do that. But how, however you need to, let the, let the Holy Spirit continue to do his work in your heart this morning. So um, worship team, lead us. Lord, my prayer is this is just the beginning for us in discovering who you've created us to be. I pray, God, that it doesn't end here for us. It doesn't end here. God, I pray that you would inspire us to continue to search for who you created us to be, the purpose that you've given us. We are who you say we are. Before I dismiss, uh, pray and dismiss us this morning, I have a few next steps that I want to uh, just challenge us with today. And these next steps are just um, things that we can do to tangibly take the message and apply it to our life this week. Uh, first one is, is this week I'll memorize John 1.27. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. We have to remember this is where spiritual life begins. He is God, and I am not. This week, I will read John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34 in preparation for next week. That's our, our portion that we're looking at next week. Um, so if you want to kind of read ahead and kind of get prepared for that, you are more than welcome to. And then uh, next Sunday, I will come to church representing my favorite team, whether you're a football fan or not. Come, uh, come repping your, your, favorite, um, your favorite sports team or your favorite whatever. Like, I know Jim. Jim, the first year we were here, he showed up in his um, bike jersey. 
I don't even know if that's the correct term, but like, yeah, like he, he loves biking. And so he came in that cause like, that's his thing. And so I'm like, cool, like come in that. Like if you like lacrosse, come into lacrosse, just, we, we want to have fun next week. So, um, come ready to just do that, have fun and, and just kind of not celebrate, but just have fun with the Super Bowl. So, um, let me pray and then we can be dismissed this morning. Stand with me if you're physically able and I will pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for, the, for your word. Thank, thank you for the time to be able to uh, worship this morning and, and sing your praises and, and offer you our best. I pray, God, that as we go, um, the message wouldn't leave us, but it would continue to root itself deep inside of us, that it would change us from the inside out. And finally, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for worshiping with us, everybody. Thanks for being here this morning. Have a great day. We will see you next week.